Um, you all are listening to Lame, the Lexington aftermath Marxist experience. How could two podcasters have known after recording their show on Friday, December the tenth, that what what would what would come to follow? Exactly. Um, and today is the seventeenth of December, two thousand twenty-one. Seven days later. Whoa. Whoa. I'm Aaron. I'm Jenry. It's a weekly podcast. What were you expecting? Um, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter at LamePod. Email us at LexLamePod at gmail.com. We'll plug some more stuff in the middle. Great stuff. Folks, this is a news podcast. And the news that we have on Side B is so critical. that, um, In, in fact, so much more pressing. <laughs> uh, that we are... We are um, in an unprecedented maneuver, redefining the alphabet. Um, everyone, you got to start learning your BACs. Um, and yes. no, not blood alcohol content. Um, I don't can't. Whatever. No, no, Brittany Ann Carlisle. Okay, sure right. that's a person. Brittany Ann Carlisle. Um, that could be a good uh, fake staff member at Lame. Oh yeah. Um, our uh, English language correspondent, uh, Brindley Ann Carlisle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, should we should, should we do the? I guess let's get into it. You know, I'm not used great. to starting off the episode. I know, so we'll I know. See, Very we'll big. We'll see how I do. Big it's burden. Time. Um, this is going to be kind of an interesting side B. We have we're really talking about two things here, and one of them is a lot more, <laughs> a lot more pressing than the other. But they're both very important. Um. The first thing we're going to be talking about today on side B is um, what happened in Frankfurt on Wednesday. Uh-huh. There was a, a committee hearing that I was at with all the UCW people. It was fun. We had a good time. There were like, okay, so this is so weird to me that nobody is talking about this. Like, and I know like we say on this podcast, nobody is talking about this for things that like maybe one or two news outlets are talking about. Mm-hmm. Nobody is talking about this. Radio and, silence. A radio silence, including from KET. They didn't even publish the archive of this committee hearing. Jeez. Um, and so I'm glad I was there for it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just would have been lost to the record. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, Hard-hitting there... journalism here. You can't get it from anywhere else. That's why you come. That's why you support us here at Lame Industries. Um, yeah, I mean, the colonel talked about it from a union perspective, but they just talked about how, um, there should be bonuses. They didn't actually talk about this meeting itself. Mm. This meeting was very interesting. Okay. Um, we, so we walk in like halfway through the meeting because we're, because we're there for, we're there for UCW. We're showing up there fashionably late. We're showing up there fashionably late. And so people are talking, the educators are talking, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm putting all the pieces together. And of course, I figured out what all this is later. But what we were walking into was a hearing, and there was a bunch of different groups from all around the state, from all different sectors, and they were just talking about why they deserve bonus pay from the ARPA money that Kentucky got, and Andy Bashir wants to use to pay bonus pay to essential workers. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if there's only going to be one group that gets it, if there's going to be multiple groups that get it, but everyone was there and they were, they were pitching their case for why they should get some or all of the money. And so the teachers were there, they had university staff, high school people, elementary school people, uh, custodians, social workers, the Teamsters, Hey, the Teamsters. That's great. Yeah, That's a lot great. of a lot of union representation. The te- mm-hmm. all, everybody from the teachers union was there. UCW mm. was there. Um, I think there were some other campus unions there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Teamsters were there. So it was a very heavy union presence. It was great. It was beautiful, and everyone was was doing a really good job. They're all talking about all their different um, stories, why they needed. Oh, the social workers. I don't know if I said that. They were there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a really interesting time. Um, as as far as I know, like they didn't give a timeline or anything for when they would be getting money, but everyone had good cases. It was interesting. The you know, social workers had a whole PowerPoint. Whoa! On the like for their case, nobody I don't know else you had get to that. do a PowerPoint for your public comment. Yeah, they did. Well, that's great, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. 
the social workers did pretty good. I liked all of the presentations. Of course, UCW people were there, so I represent mm-hmm. them. Um, but yeah, that's what happened on Wednesday, um, and it was a cool time. Great stuff. Yes. But uh, now let's go into the actual news. Um, you know, if you have a pair of eyes and a set of ears, or maybe you just have one of those each, I don't know. You don't have to have both to You don't hear have it. to have both. Um, you know about the tornadoes that happened mm-hmm. last week. I don't really have to go into detail about that. Um, what I am going to go into detail, though, is about the aftermath of the tornadoes because there's been a lot of interesting things happening as a result of these tornadoes. Joe Biden, you know Joe Biden went to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came, he, he's, um, he came down. He came down. And then he, uh, yeah, he met some UK student mm-hmm. um, who, whose house was affected. And then apparently he called her afterwards, which has got to be, I mean, God, so weird. Like, Joe Biden asked for her number? Which I got, like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, it's like I, I'm reading a headline about it, right? So, like, there's like, it's someone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're at least, as part of our press release, Joe Biden called this, this one, this one woman. And I'm like, okay, I can't imagine being on the receiving end of that. That must be like, yeah, yeah, you see him in person, you know, shake or whatever. What are you supposed to, what are you supposed to tell him, right? Hey, Mr. President. Hey, Mr. President, um, uh, I don't, you're not, I don't know if I can really be, get, I don't know how receptive you are to constructive criticism right now. Um, I, that's all I, I don't know. You personally calling me is not helping me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I'm yeah. like, I'm not, I'm, I just feel weird. I guess, I guess they, they, I guess they probably ensured that this woman was like, she's like a fan of Joe Biden. Right. Oh yeah. Well, imagine imagine if it was like a Trump guy. That yeah, they called. yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, Joe Biden was there. Um. There was this thing. He okay. Joe Biden went up on like stage. He went up on stage, and the girl he met at UK. He was like, "I hope you'll remember me when you become president." Oh God. That man. was a quote. That's really <laughs> something. What is she even a poli sci major? I don't even know. She's like, she's like, uh, buddy. I think she was in health, something, something in health. Yeah, she's like, I'm, I'm, I have a great career ahead of me as a physician's assistant. What are you talking about, man? Um, which I is not know. to say that. Look, Salvador Allende, he was, um, he was a doctor. Funny enough, curious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever. So. I don't know. Just a little, just a little insanity in Mayfield. Um, mm-hmm. as as Joe Biden just comes in and starts starts harassing the populace. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, there was this talk good article. What did you say? I said I'm just chanting. I'm done. Talk about the factory. Are we get into the factory. We're getting to the factory. This is coming up. What I'm waiting for. I was. We're gonna talk about what happened in Mayfield. Um, and so there's this article in the Herald Leader. Um, actually, no, this is in the Courier Journal. Um, and they're this. They got this guy, um, whose name is Dupree. That's and, great. Yeah, he's talking about how. Um, how like bad the housing situation is in Mayfield. And I didn't really understand how bad it was until we hear him talk about it. Mm-hmm. But he says, they're telling us we're going to have to move, but I don't have anywhere to go, Dupree said, wiping away tears. Uh, their salt and pepper hair pushed... This is somewhere Iowa, Iowa Writers Workshop. The uh, salt and pepper hair. Yeah. Um, I don't even have a car to move. I have no money. In a town of about 10,000 people, um, oh, Dupe, D-U-P-E-E, not Dupree. Oh, God. Um, is among thousands of residents that have been displaced. There are also more than 2,000 among more than 2,000 low-income housing residents um, who say they don't have financial means to move somewhere new. As of Thursday, 400 out of 456 families in public housing, Section 8 and subsidized housing, remain displaced. Mayfield Housing Authority Director Greg Vaughn told USA Today Network, "Mayfield, a nearly 70% rental community." Serves 148 families in Section 8, 228 families in 220 families in public housing, and 88 families in subsidized housing. Um, and that was that was just interesting to me. 70% rental. Christ, that's with with public and subsidized housing as well. I got man. Meanwhile, I'm, I mean, like that's so, uh, it's so fucked up, man. Mm-hmm. What are I mean? 
so where where are they going? <clears throat> they're going. Well, it's interesting. They're going to the parks, and not to like camp or anything. Like they're um like like a public park or like the a state um, parks. Oh yeah, totally. They're staying that... in the state resort parks nearby, which is actually really cool. Yeah, um, I know people that have done that. Yeah. Uh, the resorts have capacity to hold 600 people at Ken Lake this week. All 30 cottages and 48 rooms are at capacity. Wow. So don't go to Ken Lake. Yeah, sorry, guys. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that's a little bit about Mayfield. Okay, now we yes. we have to talk about it. It's the Candle Factory. The factory, man. A little bit of beating around the bush here. We're this finally getting to it. Every, got... every leftist dream is to talk about a factory, man. There's no better example. There's there. It's like, look, there is... A majority of the workers of the world, right, both when Marx was writing and now, are, are not – There's they're, a majority of them are not in factories. But we love talking about factories because they are the perfect uh, – a very perfectly geographically bound thing where, uh, you know, where, where raw goods and labor power goes in and commodities come out. Um, you know, it is it is a, like capitalism in its purest. Yeah, it's like most, purest most easiest form. to understand um, the most uh, the one of the better places to organize at. And, of course, a um, a geographically bound in some way uh, carceral power, as we will learn today. Um, yes. In multiple ways. <laughs> yes. What is the candle factory that we're talking about? In case you haven't heard, mm -hmm. we're talking about the Mayfield Consumer Products Candle Factory. According to a 2018 press release, the company was founded in Mayfield in 1998 and employed 245 people at this time. A recent listing for a full-time candle position at the candle factory had a starting wage of $8 per hour and required 10 to 12 hour shifts. We work 10 to 12-hour 12, 12 shifts Monday through Thursday, the listing reads. The day shift may start anywhere between 4.30 a.m. and 7 a.m., depending on the position, and the afternoon shift starts at 5 p.m. That's evening. Yeah. Um, mandatory overtime will be required frequently, either by extending your shift or working on Friday, the listing said. So I, I go to their website mm -hmm. to see what they're all about. This is the first thing I saw when I, when I logged on. Oh, God, man. That's rough now hiring i was like it took up the whole page and so i i really i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and i want to say that they probably just didn't update their website probably just didn't update their website because yeah. that would be in very bad taste i log into their website and what do i see as pop-up for applying to work at the candle factory because they need positions filled yeah um and so i'm assuming that they just haven't updated their website um they do have multiple jobs, job openings on their website. They're classified as miscellaneous manufacturing in the registration. Okay. Um, and so what actually happened last week was there were 110 people inside the candle factory, um, and eight of them died. Okay, only that. eight. Well, that's good. Well, yeah. Only eight. Yeah. Um, Think optimistically less than 10%. Optimistically, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, the tornado, of course, came through and like destroyed the whole building. There's, you've seen the pictures of it, mm -hmm. um, and just collapsed on multiple people, eight people, and then they yeah. pretty died. pretty horrific Facebook live stream from one of the workers mm -hmm. who was like pinned under a column. Right, actually, it collapsed. Yeah, it pinned more than eight people down, but eight of them died. Some of them, yeah. a lot of them, got rescued, um, and it was just it was horrible. Um, Interestingly enough, before all of this, uh, OSHA um, had had their eyes on the Mayfield Candle Factory. All right, they okay. previously had twelve workplace violations before Christ. before this incident. Um, citations range from issues with electrical protective equipment, respiratory protection, as well as controls of hazardous energy, which is lockout tagout. Mm -hmm. Which you know, when that goes bad, that goes bad. Lockout tagout exists for a, a a reason and um when you don't lock out tag out which is what we do with our podcasting equipment because we know how dangerous it is mm -hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> shit breaks bad it's it does yeah 
Um, selection of selection and use of work practices, maintenance, safeguards, and operational features for exit routes as well. They racked up sixteen thousand dollars in penalties from OSHA. Yeah. It reminds me of the uh, before the Nabisco workers strike. Uh, some of the workers posted photos of um, like just hallways in the factory, like like means of egress, just totally blocked by just like stacks of like cookies. Very like, <laughs> look. Justin Rosniak has said it before, and you'll say it again. You need the means of egress. Exactly. If you don't know the means of egress in the building that you're in right now, um, well, uh, figure that out. Pause this podcast. Get up from your desk. Find <laughs> find that. Ensure that the building you're in right now has an adequate means of egress. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I worked at one. Uh, I worked at a theater once, um, which shall go unnamed. Um, and one of, cause normally, I mean, let me say this, normally theaters are very good at means of egress because there's been so many deaths mm-hmm. at theaters, um, from, uh, lack of, uh, proper means of egress. One of the more indirect exit routes, right? Um, not the, you know, I tried taking it one night and, um, the exit, like the crash bars, um, which, you know, a crash bar, According to fire code, right? The greatest, the greatest ever thing to ever come out of Chicago. A crash bar is always supposed to open the door. There is no scenario where a crash bar cannot open the door. And yet, the, I <laughs> this crash bar, this door was locked. Oh no! And I was like, I would, I had to walk all the way back through the building across the whole other way to go out the other identical crash bar. Which at least that one worked. But I'm like, if the fire, if I was running, I would be dead. Um just very that's insane yeah really bad um anyway um speaking of things that were really bad uh there were people working at the candle factory during the tornado as i'm sure you were aware yeah this is what i was shocked to hear the most about that night um because of course i was up all night the night of the tornado because i was in the path of the tornado um until very very late on when it turned slightly south of me um but I was up all night in my basement. You know, it was uh, terrifying. The The sirens that they play for these tornado warning, warnings out in uh, Garrett County are horrifying. Really? Why are they-, it, they sound, they don't sound, you are like, okay, they don't sound like an air raid siren or whatever. Uh-huh. And they don't sound like a do-do-do-do, like you might hear from like a like a park in a city or whatever. Um, it sounds almost organic. It sounds like this horrifying um slightly lower pitched like wind whoa um yeah i don't even literally don't even know how to describe it it was um so terrifying they played it twice um uh you know and it was like both times i heard it was like right when i was like gone i was like all right i'm just gonna go back to bed it's gonna be fine i go close my eyes and i and i just hear it i'm like i'm literally literally it struck the fear of god into me um that's uh, insane yeah, and I don't even know where it was because um, the nature of the acoustics of where I live, um, you can hear stuff from like miles away if it's played in the right spot. So I don't even know where it was coming from. Just random places. Yeah, I mean, truly, it was just it, it was an omnipresent. Um, it's it's confusing anyway. But we can. I was shocked to learn that the same thing with the Amazon plant in Illinois. I was like, well, and you didn't immediately send everyone home. The Amazon, the Amazon one, I can I can kind of see. Like, what were they doing making... Who... Why why are they making so many candles? I mean, everyone's got a key. I mean, production must continue, I guess. I don't know. It's the Christmas season. But I just... I don't know. Let me say this. I knew... I was be... I was warned about these storms, like, that evening. Like, when we uploaded the last podcast, I was like... It was not a... uh, It was not a, whoa, surprise, the tornado's right on. I was like, we knew... That there yeah, was... you left. You left Lame Studios, and you're like, I got to get back home before yeah, the tornado would, blows like, me away. Yeah, because people were warning me. They're like, Oh, you got to look out for the. You got to look out for this uh, high winds and a tornado. I was like, Whoa, um, whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. so there were 110 employees um, that were working during this tornado. Um, John Cheeves with the Herald Leader. We're going to be hearing a lot from him today. Yeah, um, there is a lawsuit filed against the. Mayfield Consumer Goods Company. All right. Consumer Products. Yeah, MCP. <clears throat> MCP. Um, they got this quote from Elijah Johnson, who is 20 years old, 
and right. some other unnamed plaintiffs. Um, they are talking about how the workplace basically, like, they didn't let them leave. Yeah. Um, which is which is little, insane little, to me. Makes a little, little uh, triangle shirtwaist um, yeah. alarm. <laughs> um, the suit was filed electronically. The Graves County Courthouse was badly damaged by the same tornado, so the Kentucky Supreme Court declared it non-operational. Wow. Um, in the suit, the plaintiffs uh, said MCP failed to provide a workplace free from serious recognized hazards as required by state law. FCP had more than three hours to evacuate the factory after the first tornado warning siren sounded around 6 p.m. December yeah. 10th. And just to, this is something that's interesting. When they say when they say it's a tornado warning, that is a not a um. That's a serious. I think that the word warning underplays the um, you know, uh, the severity of the. When you uh, when they say tornado warning, it's like a we see a, a tornado has been formed and spotted and is coming your way mm-hmm. is the thing. It's not a watch. It's not a it's not a uh, warning. There's a step when you get off the train. It's like there is, it's uh, whatever. Can yeah, um, there was there was some debates in amongst um, I don't know. And really, like, obviously, parties with different interests uh-huh. over whether or not the managers of the plant told the employees that they would be fired if they left. Yeah. Because the employees obviously were saying, yes, the the, the overseers, I don't know, the managers mm. were saying that if you left, you'd be fired. And of course, the managers are saying the complete opposite. Yeah. They're, they got this one guy on CNN who was talking about how he left, he could have left early and just chose not to. Um, but like they have recorded evidence of one of the people saying, if you leave, you will probably be fired. Yeah. Cause like, that's the, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, you can, um, you know, you can, when the situation doesn't break bad, like when the tornado doesn't actually come or whatever, you have like so much the you have so much uh latitude i guess so much uh so much free space as a manager to sort of um uh get creative with the threat of punishment you know mm-hmm. you don't have to you don't have to speak in explicit terms that that you know that that actively heighten the contradiction or whatever you can just be like you know um if you leave it will be not in non compliance with the uh with the contract that you have with us or whatever, blah, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can get pretty, pretty, pretty creative with that. And with the, with the workers who are employed there, uh, as, as free citizens, because this is, this is interesting. I found about out about this today. Not only were there regular employees working there, they Uh had prisoners working there. Great. That's so fucked up. Did you know about this? No. What the fuck, man? You got prisoners making the guy. Fuck. We're in trouble. Um, I mean, there weren't. It wasn't like. It wasn't like mostly prisoners. One is too many. (laughs) Yeah, it was. One is too many, but there were only a few prisoners. Mm. Um, According to some of the folks there, inmates from the Graves County Jail were working at the Mayfield Consumer Products Candle Factory when the building collapsed. Christ. They had some prisoners working there from the Graves County Jail. Um, <laughs> excellent writing, Courier Journal. Yeah. Um, and when I tell you some of those prisoners were working their working their tails off to get us out, they could have used that moment to try to run away. Or this, okay. Let me preface this by saying this article from the Courier Journal is insane. Yeah. It's fucking insane. <laughs> the way that they the way that they portrayed the the nature of the the prisoners' employment. So there were, I believe, I'm pretty sure there were eight prisoners uh-huh. employed. Um, and the Herald-Leader, we'll get more into the specifics about it. John John Cheeves does a little bit more about it. Um, but uh, they are working there on this program that Matt Bevin signed into law in 2017. Christ, man. Um, it was uh, Senate Bill 120 in 2017. You can find it in the, in the um, legislative research record. Um, is a criminal justice reform measure that Bevin signed into law. Under the law, private employers can use inmate labor either inside a state prison or for certain lower-level state inmates serving their felony time in local jails at working place in the community. God. Um, 
this this I thought was interesting. There's a long list of rules and restrictions for the work release program. Among them, the inmates must volunteer, and they must have good institutional behavior records. They must submit to searches and drug and alcohol tests, and they can't work at certain employers, such as child care centers, a gun store, or any place outside of Kentucky. Okay. Um, Ashley Spaulding has studied the Senate Bill 120 for the Berea-based Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, where she's the director, blah, blah, blah. Um, although, uh, so she talks about how um, basically this is not a good idea because yeah, do you, partial rural state. Do you get... Do you get paid? Inmates must be paid a lawful wage, out of which the jail gets to collect fees of $55 a week or 20% of their net pay, whichever is less. What the fuck, man? Jails are supposed to give preference to inmates who owe child support or court-ordered restitution, which is deducted from their pay. God, man. So these... I don't know if we know how much they were getting paid. I think they were getting paid like $10 an hour. Well, that's... That's... Which up, 20% fraud goes to the jail, so $8 an hour. Yeah. Um, so Before taxes, so like 7 yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Um, a Graves County Jail spokesperson confirmed to, to WFPL Saturday evening that seven inmates from the jail were working at the candle factory, and they're all accounted for and alive. Some do, you have get life. To, um, do you get to wear plain clothes? Do I don't know. Do you have to wear the I orange jumpsuit? Wear... Oh, that's interesting. I don't yeah. know. They didn't talk about that. You would hope. Um, some have life-threatening injuries, oh, great. according to WFPL, and the jail deputy supervising them died. Oh, well. So they had a jail deputy watching them while they were Okay. Working. Now, how much is that guy getting paid to just sit there and watch them? I know. Literally just a cop at your workplace watching? Um, Graves County Jail inmates working at the Mayfield Consumer Products is relatively new. The Paducah Sun reported in July the two groups were finalizing an agreement for 10 state inmates to work at the Kendall factory and to be paid for it, though the jail would not disclose the newspaper how much the inmates would be paid. Yeah. But it's supposed to, supposedly it's lawful. I don't know where I read that $10 statistic, so take that with a grain of salt, but yeah. this, this article is insane, yeah, because they got this one woman, and she said, yeah, they, they had some of the prisoners working there from the Graves County Jail, and when I tell you... When I tell you some of those prisoners were working their tails off to get us out, they could have used that moment to try to run away or anything. They did not. They were there and they were helping us. Yeah. What is the um you wouldn't happen to know what the starting pay for a non prison laborer? Eight dollars. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Fuck man. How can you work a factory job in the United States and still get paid eight bucks an hour for that? That's fucking rough. I mean, I guess if you're in Mayfield, Kentucky, I don't know what the rent is there. Yeah. Um, so that was the, that was the Courier Journal article. John Cheeves, of course, had an interesting article, of course, so we, we kind of jumped around a little bit. Um, but there are other places in Kentucky that, that do this too. In Callaway County, um, there are 10 inmates that work about half an hour west. Um, Callaway County's inmates are on the day shift, so they were not in the building. Oh, they live half an hour west. So yeah, they work also at the candle factory. Um, this interesting too that that this happened um, with all the people at the night shift because kind of I don't know it's just insane to me that they're making candles at night and they're like making them go overtime and everything. Um, now the company, okay, the company made a released statement, which is which is weird, weirdly phrased and and just strange. Our company is family owned. And our employees, some of, who, some of whom have worked with us for many years, are cherished. We're immediately establishing an emergency fund to assist our employees and their families. And we are grateful to the first responders who heroically assisted our employees following the storm. And we're thankful to those who are generously offering help to assist us. Your prayers are needed and appreciated. I feel like there's a citation in the end of the episode for family-owned businesses. Definitely, right? What counts as a family-owned business? Is Anheuser-Busch, you know, proudly family-owned? Would you describe it as that way? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Really something. Um, and so what is being done with it? Well, like I said, there is a class action lawsuit. There's several lawsuits going into place right now. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, everyone is saying in the lawsuits that the company knew or should have known about the expected tornado, and they should have just sent them home. Um, they are showing flagrant indifference to the rights of employees. 
Um, as part of the lawsuit, the flagrants, the the the, the plaintiffs are seeking uh, comp- compensatory, compensatory. I don't know, punitive yeah, damages. Like that, yeah. Um, and they're gonna have a trial coming up soon. Of course, they can't have it in the in the courthouse because the courthouse is destroyed. The courthouse is also destroyed. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, I wasn't expecting this. The Herald Leader has a really good, like a really good article with a whole bunch of lists, like it's all a whole list of mutual aid. Oh, and, that's cute. Um, like donations and everything like that. Yeah, so um, go to there. Go to there. There's another one that's called Appalachians for Appalachian, which they have a spreadsheet. I'll link that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can donate blood. You can do everything like that. Um, I saw, who was it? Amanda Mays Bledsoe. She went down to the Beaumont Kentucky Blood Clinic, the Kentucky Blood Center, uh-huh. and she donated. She put that on Twitter. All and right. Of course, Andy Bashir had his little, his little blood table yeah. in, the, in the Capitol, and he went and donated. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. Thought that was a little little press release there. Loving some loving some elected officials donating their blood to the cause, mm-hmm. um, not um, their money. Yeah, but that's really that's really about all we know so far. Um, the craziest thing was I thought was the prisoners. That they had yeah, that was there. really the what prisoners a twist. in the night shift and the prisoners in the day shift. But of course, the day shift people left. So yeah, but. Um, I guess with that, uh, we'll have all the links and everything in, in the in the show notes. But yeah, that was that was the first part. I yield my time. Well, yeah, I know it's different. That's crazy. How are we gonna? You all are listening to Lame, the Lexington aftermath Thank Marxist God. experience. I'm Aaron, and I'm Jenry. And you can follow us on Twitter at LamePod. You can email us at LexingtonPod at gmail we have stickers and buttons. If you want those, we'll mail them to you. If you know anybody who might want anything this this holiday season, we have stickers and buttons. You That's can great. All right. Put them in their stockings Some or something. Lame, I don't know. Lame holiday stickers. Yeah, lame holiday. Check out this podcast I listened to. I got this for free. Yeah. Um, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, requests for future episodes, perhaps. Yeah. Complaints. We got to something to talk to us about yeah. something we should be talking about at gmail.com mm. um also itunes we're on there apple music apple, was thinking, I don't know. apple podcast yeah um whatever give us the review give us the review so we can be seen and everything like that if there's um, any sort of other podcasty podcast aggregator that does reviews put it there Why yeah not? you know what to do yeah um and then share share with your friends and everything um Wow, this is interesting because now we're going into side I A. Know, oh, now, I, now I don't have to talk. This is great. Well, as much. Yeah. Well, I have kind of have a shorter side A. Well, this is going to be really. Well, I, let's let's yeah, let's just go. Let's well let's, let's just break and then go. Okay. Because we're still in the middle. Yeah. All right. Cool. We break. All right. Welcome back to side A. We're back. Wait. This do I do it? Side do A. This is lame. I'll let you take care of it. This is a podcast about the news, so that will—that's what's gonna get me back into the thing. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, um, I got stuff. Uh, you all remember last week where we talked about the the uh, and all of a uh, city government website stuff shut down for some uh, unknown uh, external attack. No update. The article is not. It's, I've not found any. Not heard any news about it. So that's that. Uh, probably fine, right? Hopefully. Who knows? Maybe the Lexington government had to pay like uh, all the ARPA money. For, oh uh, no, we spent all of our ARPA money on getting back our PPA <laughs> records. All the all the millions in Bitcoin. Yeah, someone's doing a uh, someone's doing a cyber attack to. Uh, they read that article about um, getting uh, free trash collection um, on their city block, so they. They they hacked the city government to remove them from the PVA. <laughs> anyway, I guess changing districts. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got to talk about. There's this interesting article now. This is funny. I was as I was reading it right now before the thing. I was like, God, I probably should have went on Legistar and figured out what actually happened because I believe the actual vote on redistricting happened. Although I will say, when I was looking at the redistricting website today, when I clicked on the current like current view the redistricting had already taken place so i'm assuming it got a vote yes but i don't have and this is critical i did not have the uh, yes no votes on it but i have a preliminary yes no vote 
that was taken on that Thursday, the day before um, the the 9th of December for uh, to move it forward onto the agenda. Um, I don't know why they're in such a hurry. These things don't have to be done until April of 2022 or huh. something like that. Um, but whatever. I mean, it's done. Um, and I have some, there's a, this, there's an interesting article. This is a Beth Musgrave article talking about, um, we mentioned them in a previous episode, the people on the redistricting committee as part of, as part of the greater thing. But let's just, um, let's just see. Let's just see. Um, all right. Uh, the council on Thursday narrowly voted eight to six. That's the 9th of December voted eight to six to move the map forward without any changes to the committee's proposed map, despite grumbling by some council members. God, I wish I was in the room to know what the grumbling was about. Um, uh, some of the proposed changes. Now, two members of that redistrict community may be considering a run for council. Fuck. This is huge. Now this is really, I, I, Two of them? You mean to tell me that out of the twelve seats, you got fucking two of these people that were actively considering running when they made when they were the ones in charge of making? I mean, motherfucker. Anyone for District Six? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> um, we got a uh, Brenda Menares, who represented Council District Four, has filed paperwork with the Kentucky Registry of Election Finance um, to now run in District Four. Um, of course, because Susan Lamb is uh, not running for re-election. I don't know if we reported Whoa, on that previously. Yeah. I didn't know about this. Man, I mean, well, after – God, I mean, after that uh, – her meltdown about the trees thing, man, that was really mm. – I'm very proud of her. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, jeez, man, are you all right? Um, I hope she's moving on to a better life. Susan know. Lamb with the trees, she's like, we must yeah. become ungovernable. That's really true. Um, uh, Susan Lamb, the big shot of her shaking hands with the Malatesta or something. Um, anyway, um, Moneris filed in mid-November after the committee has sent its proposed changes to the council for its review in late October. So they finished tidying up the map, and only after that did they go, well, I guess I'm going to – I'm running for city council. I'm going to just knock the headphones out of my ear. Sorry. Um, That's kind of interesting that they set the districts and now they're well, but yeah, they're set, they set the districts because District and, Four especially has had a radical, radical change mm-hmm. in its thing. It is one of the most drastically changed districts, and now they're um, running for said districts. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, uh, District Four. We'll talk more. I have. I'm going to talk more about the breakdown of what has changed. But District Four has lost everything north of, of uh, New Circle Road. And has taken area from District 9 and 8 and 12, actually. It's brought more stuff in the thing. So it is now a fully, like, suburban, quote-unquote-unquote-unquote, district. Um, district 4 autonomous zone. God, yeah. District 3 is taking all of that northern uh, thing. Uh, uh, according to this article, Moneris did not immediately return an email or phone call. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lamb said she chose Moneris because of her interest in government. Lamb wanted someone who would be engaged in the process. It was not based on politics. Quote, I have not been partisan in my seven years, unquote, which is. How is that even possible? I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, like, okay, because what's funny is that, like, you can be. She's conflating the word partisan with political. Okay. Like, she's not. Yeah, sure. You don't have to be partisan. You're not. You're not appointing people strictly on your own party line or whatever because you don't. I, but political is what the word. I mean, what I, she's using partisan as a euphemism for like a, a a negative connotation for political, right? Which is the just to show you where the, our culture has gotten um, in the United States in reference to politics that it's a. They're trying to figure out more newer and better dirty words for politics. Um, on the other hand, Rocked Daniels, who represents District 2 on the committee, has not yet filed paperwork but said he is considered either running running in either District 11 or District 2 depending on the final map um, because <laughs> District 11 is taking a lot, a lot of, um, of uh, District 2 southern area. District 11 is making a lot – is moving a lot too – it's losing a lot of its southern area, and it's moving up north. It's taking District 3 area. It's taking District 2. It's even taking District 1 area. It's almost all of the west uh, downtown area, which is curious. Um, 
quote, the representative or appointee from Council District 11 made their proposed change, Daniels said. Uh, the thought was to bring the area around the distillery district into District 11. Um, part of those precincts, which cover a large geographic area, area include part of Metathorpe. Daniel says the changes were driven by math, not politics. Well, there's what's wrong with you. Um, that's like a, that you know. It's so somebody was paying attention to the Andrew Yang campaign. Yeah, literally. I mean, it's like that's so. I mean, talk about like like saying the quiet part out loud, being like the the political gang game is so rigged in our way that it actually doesn't we can just do what we don't actually want any we don't want a any city councilors to bring about any sort of um uh a revolutionary change of any way just sort of any change to the system we're actually very content with the fact that we are not it, he says, I don't even know if this is hurting or helping my, my, my political change. I don't even know. I'm, I'm not aligned with any movement. I just like math, um, which is, you know, one way to put it. If this was a one-party state, I'd, I would consider it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, well, luckily, Lexington's a no-party state. Um, the districts have said to be within 5% of the optimal district size of 26,881 people. Which is cute. That's kind of a really low number. Hmm. Um, because certain council districts need more population, it created a cascading effect in the neighboring districts. The committee's proposed change would move over 46 districts in a new council district, in effect about 48,000 voters. Council districts with the most changes are 2, 3, 4, 10, and 11. I would also say 1. Um, there is also no um, vice mayor I mean, uh, headline, no prohibition on committee members running for office. Vice Mayor Steve Kay, whose office helps oversee the redistricting process, said council appointees to the committee are not necessarily required to abstain from running. Quote, there definitely is encouraged to seek people who do not want to run, Kay said, but there is no prohibition. Don Todd, who was on the redistricting committee, has served on previous redistricting committees, said Moneros or Daniels did not influence the committee's effort to redraw the lines for the final proposal. What? What does that mean? It's, so did they just sit there quietly and do nothing? I mean, what is what does that mean? How is it possible to be on the redistricting committee and not um, and not have any effect over how the lines are being drawn? I mean, what's the point? Why are you on the committee? Why are you on the fucking committee? Um uh, Todd, who was also a former council member, said he's aware of a number of prior redistricting committees later running for office after helping redraw the lines in the past 10 years. Yeah. Quote, they really didn't have any effect on those districts, unquote, Todd said. District 4 had to move south due to population changes in other council districts. That was the only way the map could work and still be within the per council district population goal. The same was true to District 2 and 11. This was really a community quote it was a really community and group-wide decision we were trying to follow the guidelines in the seven points the staff gave us unquote todd said the group also didn't want to move a sitting council member out of their current district which meant some possible changes to these council boundaries were off the table it's bad <laughs> not cool <laughs> you should probably that should probably not be i don't know the real politic, I don't think there's ever a scenario where you can convince a council district mem a member to vote on a uh, map that would unseat them and force them to run against one of their buddies. Because um, remember, folks, they're all on a team of a sort, and it, I don't think we're – I'm not entirely sure if we're on it. We're um, not on it. But that's, that's neither here nor there. That is interesting. Imagine, imagine like, um, that, that happening. Yeah. That would be crazy. Like, I know. Oh, right? Hey, you appointed me to do this. Um, also, congratulations! You're gonna have to run against your friend. Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess they're also not confident enough in their ability to run for, uh, you know. I guess so. Hey, they could have changed it with District Six. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, District Six. I think went basically unchanged. Oh um, man. I know, right? Uh, anyway. Um, Quote, I think it was a really objective process, unquote, Todd said. Quote, it's based on the numbers, which is anything can be based on the fucking numbers, you know? I don't know. I think anyone claiming objectivity in anything is, I think, like from a uh, from a purely Kantian perspective, goofy. Um, <laughs> Daniel said the committee was also trying not to dilute minority voting strength. 
Oh. So you do have an... Okay, wait a second. Okay, wait a... Wait, what the... So you do have an... Okay, so there is a political interest in this. Not that that's a bad one. I, um... But I'm just saying, huh, interesting, right? Um, the council only... current. The council currently only has one black council member. Um, but uh, has it... Oh, no way. James Brown has announced he will run for an at-large seat. Why am I reading this in the middle of this article? Have we got to keep on this? The lame election desk, it's falling apart at the seams over here. Wait, so yeah, so District 1 is going to have a re- like They're going to need to elect somebody new. Yeah, District 1 is also, once it losing more ground, is moving further out. Oh. Um, there is, let me say this, every, the one trend is that, aside from District 10, is that every, every district is moving more out. Huh. Every district is becoming more suburban. Well, we're going to have to get a new map soon. I know. Well, I mean, we already need to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, there's already no way. I mean, I'm excited. Well, now we can, we'll sign the old maps and uh, sell them for a lot of money in yeah, 50 we'll, years. We'll break it up into, into little pieces. Oh, little, that's great. Little precincts. Mm-hmm. That's cute, actually. I really like that. I think that could Let's be funny. Mail it out with it. people's uh, stickers. That's good. That's really good. I'm into that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll talk with our uh, with our creative team about that. Um, quote we hope that we will see more minorities run for office daniel said daniels has also previously run for council he ran he unsuccessfully in council district three in 2014 and 2012 um when he lived in that district daniel said he's not sure if he will run for office at all um Jesus, man. The council has till April of 2022 to improve the boundaries. However, Kay and others said this week that they would like to have a final map approved this week. And um, I think I think they literally did. I can't believe I missed the, the news on this. Yeah, well, Richard Young tweeted out. He was like, wow, it sure is weird to have all such a big change in that one little line on the docket. Yeah. And it was just like an act or a, a provision to change yeah. the, the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. What are they talking about? Oh, they're talking about signatures or something. Whatever. Here's the people that voted for putting this on the docket. Right? Steve K, James Brown, Richard Maloney, Susan Lamb, Kathy Plowman, Liz Sheehan, David Kloybert, which is a misspelling, um, uh, which is hilarious, and Hannah Legree, right? So the normal lineup, the usual suspects, except for one person, right? Those who voted against Bledstow, Reynolds, Josh McCurran, Preston Worley, Fred Brown, and Chuck Ellinger, right? Jennifer Reynolds, District 11, is getting a radically changing. Um, and I'm curious. I'm curious if she voted no to the final. Um, I'm assuming she did. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, it was only a two. I'm very curious to see. I would love to know what her calculus is um or interesting to see that just the southern part of district 11 was important to her in a certain way anyway so stuff that's really happening um we've talked about four moving south we've talked about 10 moving around um a lot of uh um, the, the weirdest part now is that District 10, it's mostly like a sort of perfect platonic solid, except for one part that shoots up all the way um, up th- up between uh, Seven Parks and um, uh, Harrodsburg. Um, so like if you – the space uh, – there is no more District 11 to the east of Harrodsburg Road. That is all District 10 now. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're like if you're listening at home, just pull up a Lexington. Uh huh. Well, this map, is a you know what we're talking about the Lexington the the Kentucky government website has a pretty good GIS interactable map where you can see every decade's change or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can just click between. Or I had it pulled up in two windows and just like alt tabbed between the two, mm-hmm. um, the changes between um, that and that, and uh, it's interesting. A lot of the southern districts are looking more like just normal platonic solids right or whatever uh but there's still a bunch of really funny borders with district one which i find really interesting you know um a lot of irregular shapes up there is what i will say um now um for our final article of the day 
Rubicon Technologies. I do not know how this one flew under our nose, folks. Um, this is a perfect, um, perfect bullshit <laughs> uh, company. It's a perfect, perfect dumb startup that's apparently worth stupid money, almost $2 billion, right? So um, I had a very, very difficult time finding anything online that was not a rewrite-up of their press releases. Um, but uh, let me read you let me read you some excerpts from the Herald Leader article, right? Rubicon Technologies, a Lexington-based business that helps companies better manage their waste and recycling, announced on Thursday that it is going public through a SPAC merger, right? So uh, longtime listeners of the App Harvest saga on Trillbillies um, already know about this one. Um, but if you don't know what a SPAC is, right, let's say um, – when you're a company and you want to go public and you want to be traded on the NASDAQ, normally that requires you to have a large enough company with a certain amount of things or whatever and to have to go through a whole IPO that has a whole thing or whatever. You know, There's a whole process to it. But what if you could just skip that and say, mm, fuck it, I need just to turn the money faucet on. Um, so I'm going to uh, skip the line um, by going through a special purpose acquisition company, a SPAC, and that is what goes public, and you trade the SPAC. Um, it's let me say this: I haven't seen any particularly legitimate business go through on a SPAC. Um, not you know, not that maybe it'll be Rubicon. This first, yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah. crossing the Rubicon. They're yeah, yeah, make yeah. It, uh... That's God, man. Um, this deal will create a publicly traded company valued at about $1.7 billion, according to the announcement, right? Um, the CEO and founder, Nate Morris, will continue to lead the new company, which will be listed on the New York Stock Exchange and trade under RBT, right? Um, the SPAC company name is called Founder, which includes investments from um, a, a New Zealand uh, fund and someplace called uh, Rodina Capital. And they didn't include this in this article, but uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is also um, getting in on Founder, which is um, something, right? Um, so you may ask yourself, what what about waste management does this company do? Uh, do they recycle things? Um, do they manage waste? Um, yeah, what are they up to? Well, uh, this next line may, um, may uh, uh, elaborate um, for you. Rubicon, which has been called the Uber for Trash, um, um, uses a software platform to link businesses and governments to a network of 8,000 hauling and recycling partners in 20 countries worldwide. So they are exclusively a middle management company. Um, they don't they don't actually do any of the productive labor. Um, so they they are exclusively. Creating some sort, there some sort of facilitating some sort of market thing, right? Recycling, and have managed to uh, do the thing that every bullshit tech company does these days, and just convince a bunch of people that it's worth money. This is not a two billion dollar business, right? How do they get that much valuation? Um, according to Rubicon, the company had an excess of five hundred million dollars in revenue in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Clients include Walmart, Apple, Starbucks, Chipotle, and FedEx, as well as major U.S. city governments, including Kansas City and Missouri, Baltimore, and Columbus, right? In June, the company announced that it's moving its global headquarters to the uh, center pit, folks. That's right. Lexington City Center. What's the what's above the Jack Ru Jeff Ruby's now? It's um, it's 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 the trash people that don't do trash. <sighs> so, um. Here's some further things from the Wall Street Journal. I pulled this. Um, the uh, You may ask, so what does this company have that makes it different? Well, the software company has over 50 patents, which includes the uh, Rubicon Smart City technology suite, right? The Adobe suite, but shittier, um, which helps cities operate at a more efficient, effective, and sustainable levels. The software is low cost and allows the city to have a lower cost on sustainable operations, right? So then, once again, you may be asking yourself, what the fuck can a software do that I have to pay for? How can that make my city run more efficiently, right? Um, 
Cerubicon Smart City has highly advanced features like monitoring vehicle health, improving driver behavior, efficient material collection, trip inspections, custom driving routes, and identifying possible hazards like potholes. So I don't know what that, I don't know how that helps. I don't know. I don't know how that's. Fi- Let me say it, something about that is not five hundred million dollars worth. You know, you can know the location of. I, how does this even surveillance? Work? I see. What? Let me say this. I see why Walmart, Apple, Starbucks, Chipotle, and FedEx want it because um, it increases their surveillance net over their own company. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't. Efficient material collection, trip inspections. Can't you just use a spreadsheet? Vehicle monitoring, vehicle health. Whatever happened just to Just look at the odometer, man. What I happened mean, to Excel? Are they still using Excel these days? God, you would think. Um, I, it's so confusing. Um, I don't know. Let me see. This is what Morris, their CEO, had to say in a press release. Historically, waste has been an overlooked issue. But at Rubicon, we have built a different kind of company, one that has sought to address the entrenched shortcomings of the industry and bring the issue of waste into public consciousness, right? While the waste and recycling category is highly resilient, it is ripe for improvements in efficiency and sustainability, and the successful execution of our growth strategy will help propel the industry into the current age of digitalization, while facilitating the broader is sustainability goals of customers and communities around the world. In doing so, we are creating a new standards for the waste and recycling category. So where do we start? Um, waste is an overlooked in issue in industry. And it is an overlooked issue in industry because the very nature of a company that produces products for a profit is reliant on the fact that it, it, it creates waste. Right. And I'm not even talking like it's wasteful to, you know, it's energy to create products or whatever. Part of running a profitable business where you where you manufacture commodities is destroying a part of that commodity if you overproduce it. Like. That's the thing. I mean, and you can do as let me say this, folks, you can do as much with 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 multi use plastics as you can or whatever. But unless you fundamentally are stopping production. Unless you are reducing the amount of 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 single of of multi-use plastic you produce, it's not doing anything. There is, you can have all sorts of personal habits to make to your life more environmentally friendly or whatever. But the fundamental truth is that the only habits you make in your life that have any utility in 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 helping the environment are habits that de incentivize that 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 incentivize companies to lower production, right? Which um is not you. You're playing the wrong game. You're trying to you're you're trying to you know you're trying to play three ball you're trying to play three card Monty at a baseball game. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's in secondly, secondly, and this is the other thing. This line while the waste industry while the waste in public sorry whoa, while the waste and recycling category is highly resilient dot dot dot. Have you been living under a rock for the last three years? Do you all remember in 2019 when the city when the city of Lexington could no longer recycle paper because literally one enterprise in China said, we don't want to accept it anymore? I think we still can't recycle paper. Literally, you can't. Um, I mean, I cannot name you a more bullshit industry than recycling. I mean, there is no – there is n- – the recycling category has always been just a series of elaborate lies and totally based on the whim of just can we put it in a landfill that's somewhere else, right? Uh, and to delude anyone into thinking this is um, really something. And of course everyone's been deluded into doing it because there's no there is no journalism that is critical of this. Every single piece that I've read – uh, including in the Herald Leader, is just a, 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 a typing up the press release that they provided, right? Which for most people is all they need to hear, whatever, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, if you're an investor, do you even want to hear this shit? Like, that's not a... When I hear Uber for trash, um, Uber has never, ever made a profit. I mean, what are, they, what are they? Yeah, when I hear that, I think okay, when, they're trying to disrupt something. What are they disrupting? When, when I hear Uber for trash, I hear like, okay, so you don't own the things that you don't own any of the means 
you are you are are connecting clients to other contractors mm -hmm. you're middlemanning it and you're trying to disrupt an industry um which is reliant which is reliant on the fact that one your business model as uber depends on the fact that one day we will invent a technology and a wizard will fix it and we will have autonomous driving cars or whatever right um recycling i think operates on a operates on a very similar well one day we'll just develop the technology to recycle plastic in a real way like you can't i don't know it's so i mean the alarm bells are going off so, yeah, um, i'm imagining like you know you're just some guy and you're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna haul trash around in my car yeah and that's like and that's a noble Uber. that's a noble life yeah i'm proud of him um and uh speaking of which i'm proud of you listener for making it all the way through because Whoa. it's happened again oh wow you've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to lame wow um what else do you say at the end of this before you get to the final our esteemed executive producer oh right right, right. credits 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 uh our logo it was made by uh uh claire thompson our esteemed executive thompson producer our, our our esteemed executive producer charlie carey let me fucking speak i'm working right. on it um Hugh, uh, shout out to, um, uh, I don't know, um, in, in, in every single time <laughs> they, and even though, even, even though we fuck up another like thing on this podcast that we've been doing for a year, every time uh, I know, cause that the sits with the say it. Huh. Oh my God. This is lame. Not so easy when you're doing it, is it? Just stop it, would you? <laughs>